Lessons in Tanya. The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi. Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky. Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg. The Rebbe had a special love for children. And he chose, he selected, personally selected 12 verses and sayings from the rabbis that the children should all learn by heart because the children are pure. Their voices are pure. They're not self-conscious. They're not sexual beings yet. They're just pure, innocent, holy. And anything a child says is, is, is pure, you know, straight, goes straight to heaven. And... Um, you know, we spend our whole life trying to recapture that childlike innocence. Not that childish innocence. We don't want to be childish. But that childlike innocence, that wholesomeness, that purity, that whatever a child does is 100%. There's no reservation. It gives, a child gives of himself 100%. We all have that child within us. It's hidden there, but it's there. But, um, so the Rebbe chose these 12 verses. And two out of these 12 chose from the chapter we're learning today. On the bottom of page 434, where it says that that the whole purpose of man and the purpose for which he and all of the worlds, the upper and lower, were created, whether that God should have a dwelling place here below. This is the whole This is the whole reason why God created the world. The whole purpose. We are fulfilling the very purpose. And when he, what is he referring to? He's referring to that when a person realizes that God is very close to us, that He's within us and He's all around us, and that God's essence is woven into the very fabric of our being. God's essence is right here in the here and the now, in the immediate, in the actual. And when a person recognizes it and realizes it, and it like changes your whole perspective. Because the ultimate goal is not just to recognize that there is a God. It's like an energy, an abstract energy in heaven, a heavenly being, an otherworldly being, an otherworldly reality. But the goal is to really open your eyes and to change, shift your whole point of view of this world, the whole perspective of this world. When you open your eyes and you realize that God is, God is everywhere. And that, and that changes your whole perspective on reality. Instead of thinking of ourselves as ego, our egos are solid, as real, and God is some abstraction, we realize and recognize that God is... We are just a projection. We are just a reflection. We are just the... A, a, the tip of the iceberg of a, a, of a ray of a ray of God we're just like the shadow but the reality is reality is God there is no other reality but God and when that really hits home when you really understand that it changes how you look at the world changes how you look at yourself suddenly you see God everywhere and that is the whole purpose of creation and Hashem becomes a reality for us in the here and the now in the immediate in the actual right in front of us wherever we go 24-7, our business, our careers, our office. God is reality. 
God is not compartmentalized. God is not something that exists in some spiritual plane. But God is all in common. God's essence. God's essence permeates all of reality. And when you sense God and see God in your office, in the business, in your career, on your Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, every moment, every day of your life, in the bank, in the corridors of Washington, when you open your eyes and you see the reality of God, it changes your whole perspective. People can go through their whole life and they don't see. They don't perceive, they don't see. They just take the world at face value. But the world is only a parable. The world is, is just a parable. Imagine if you're stuck with a parable. You missed the whole, the whole punchline. You missed the whole point. There, there's there's the, the moral of the story. There's what's behind the parable. So once you open your eyes and you realize this whole world is a parable, everything in this world is a parable. Everything we encounter, everything we're aware of is just a parable pointing to something to Hashem. Then it changes your whole perspective. Then you see God everywhere and everything. And you learn from everything. You see the divine providence. And everything in life is here to teach us a lesson. You can learn from everything, from every profession. There's something to learn. It's just a parable. Take, for example, lawyers. Please. <laughs> <laughs> so, lawyers are wonderful. Think about it. Because they only see the positive. They're defending the biggest criminal under the sun. They don't see anything negative. They only see positive. And they make sure that everyone around them also only sees the positive. Point that, highlight every positive thing. They have to dread sometimes very deep to discover something good to say about this slimy individual. And yet they, they somehow manage. Because the, the truth is everyone has something good in them. So imagine this is, this is a way to teach us. If you open your eyes, what the whole profession of, of lawyers <laughs> teaching us is how to look at another person. See the good in the other person. When the Torah says, always see the good in the other person. Always judge another person favorably. Learn from the lawyer. The lawyer always judges his client favorably. He can be as guilty as hell. But in his eyes, he always, always sees something positive to say. That's how you have to look at another person. And everything in this world, every profession in this world, everything in this world, you can learn a lesson. Take cleaning. <laughs> what could you learn from, from dry cleaning? Every every clothes, the clothes is clean. The clothes is good. It gets soiled a little. Okay, it gets a little schmutzig. So what do you do? It's not the end of the story. You don't have to throw out. You don't have to throw out the suit or the dress or the blouse. You send it into the cleaners, and it comes back. Takes out, removes the stain. It comes back. Pressed, clean, brand new. And sometimes it depends on the stain. Sometimes there's a stain that comes up very easily. Sometimes there's a stain. There's a whole procedure. You have to rub and you have to take it out. The same is with our souls. Our souls come into this world as pure, as innocent. But then we stain it along the way. <laughs> By choice, certain choices that we make, certain behaviors that we do that are inappropriate. So we stain it, okay. But you don't throw. The soul is good. The clothes is good. You just have to get rid of the schmutz. Sometimes it's something you have to rub a little harder. Sometimes Hashem gives us a little rougher experience to rub out that, that, that stain. But at the end of the day, the stain will be removed. At the end of the day, the, the, the core is good. The core is... Just an example, every single thing in this world is here to teach us something. The Baal Shem Tov said, everything a Jew sees or hears is here to teach us a lesson in our divine service. Everything in the world is just a parable. Anything. Anything you hear is here to teach you something. 
But what, so once you open your eyes and you realize that Hashem is giving us lessons all the time and Hashem is sending us messages all the time and everything is here to help us. and to, It's a different world. Suddenly the world becomes a beautiful place. Instead of being a f- a fearful of the world and the world being a gross, coarse, materialistic, nasty place, brutish place, it's a different world. It's God's world. It's a divine world. It's a beautiful world. There's lessons every... You're constantly bumping into new lessons and inspiring lessons and messages. It's a different world. Suddenly you see God all around you. You open your eyes and you see the essence of God. It changes. And that's what God wanted. Hashem wanted. That's the whole purpose why not only did He create our world, that's the purpose why He created the angelic world, the higher levels of consciousness, the spiritual realms. It's not about them. It's about us here in this world. We are the purpose. Because it's only when you open your eyes in heaven, everything is crystal clear. Everything is clear. You don't need faith in heaven. When you see, you don't need faith. If you see that it's clear, it's self-evident, godliness is self-evident in heaven. But when you come into this world and we're wearing blinders and everything is covered up and everything is concealed and everything is a riddle and an enigma and everything is, is vague and, and yet when a person discovers faith and a person is able, is able to capture that faith and suddenly you open your eyes and you see Hashem in this world, that is the whole purpose of creation. That's what God wanted. He wanted a home. He wanted to feel at home in this world, in the lowest of all the worlds. You feel, what, do you mean, what do you mean to feel at home? Just like when we feel at home. When we're outside of our house, home, we project. We wear many hats. Outside of our home, we could be an accountant, we could be a lawyer, we could be a president, we could be a professional. We, and sometimes we wear many hats. But who are you? Who is the person themselves? That you have, to, you have to catch them at home. When the doors are locked and the window shades are down, the person feels relaxed at home. He can let you hear down. You're not projecting, you're not acting. You are yourself. That's when you're essence. That's when you're luxury. That's when you relax. That's when you are yourself. You feel at home in your own skin. If you live in a glass house, you want to feel at home. When you live in your house, then you feel at home in your own skin. You feel at home. Hashem wanted a home. Where does Hashem feel at home? Only in this world. When a, when a Jew opens his heart and opens his mind and opens himself up to Hashem and starts seeing in a very deep way, in a very mature way, in a very real way, you open your eyes and you start seeing that everything in this world is just a parable and that we are just a projection of Hashem and everything is really God and there really is nothing else but God. There's not the reality but God. And you see God all around you and you open your eyes and you see the divine providence in your business. You see it every step of the way. You can't even delude yourself and think that it's my own bronze or brains, brightness. It's, 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 a, it's a miracle, divine miracle. God was with me every step of the way. You read every successful autobiography you're going to read, it was always an element of luck. You were born to the president of the company or <laughs> the American way, or you, you met the right person at the right time. And, you know, of course, there's no such thing as luck. Luck is divine providence. So when you open your eyes and you see how that one in a million, that chance meeting, you, you met the right person at the right time. Then you open your eyes and you see divine providence and everything. That is the whole purpose of creation. That changes, that changes everything. It changes your perspective. It changes the world. Suddenly the world becomes a hospitable place. A place where God says, I feel at home. I'm welcome. It's warm. It's cozy. It's comfortable. It's a five-star accommodation. It's a paradise. It's a garden of Eden. This world, us, when we open our hearts to Hashem, when we remove the blinders and we polish the, the lenses, suddenly you see, 
Otherwise, it's like walking, walking with covered lenses. Your ego is like a covered lens. You don't see anything. All you see is yourself. You can't see beyond your own nose. You don't see anyone else, that's for sure. A person who's egotistical doesn't notice anyone but themselves. And the world is a dark place. But the moment you, you clean the glasses, you clean the lenses, and stuff, it's a beautiful place. It's a warm place. It's lush. It's beautiful. Welcome. You feel at home. Comfortable. That's what Hashem wanted. Hashem wanted to feel at home in this world. But it's up to us. We are the ones who make God feel at home. Because where is God found? Wherever He's allowed in. When we allow Hashem into our hearts, we allow Hashem into our minds, and we open our minds, and we start to see and perceive in a very real way that there is no other reality but God. God is reality. We're just a, a reflection, a projection. We're just a parable. But everything is really God. There's nothing else. There's no other reality but God. And all roads lead to Jerusalem. All the fingers are pointing to that one single truth and one single reality. Then it's a different world. Then this is the world. This is the goal. This is the theme. This is the purpose of creation. That's why God created everything. That's why there are higher levels of consciousness and there are angels and art, music. It's all for this purpose. Allowing Hashem into our hearts, into our daily lives, in our businesses, in our offices, in our careers. Sensing Hashem, not just in the synagogue, not just on Yom Kippur and a holy day, not just when we're standing at the Temple Mount, not just the day you get married, but sensing Hashem on a regular Wednesday afternoon, standing in the office, standing at your house, whatever you're doing, seeing, sensing Hashem in everything. That's what God wanted. It's not compartmentalized. It's all-encompassing. That's when, so to speak, God lets His hair down, and that's when God's essence becomes manifest and is felt. And when God's essence is manifest in this world, then God's essence is manifest in the heavens. The heavens receive their sustenance from us. It's not the other way. They receive their sustenance from us. We are the feeders. We are in the engine room. We are in the command and control center. Whatever we do feeds and sustains the angels, feeds and sustains all the upper realms, the higher realms. We are in the driver's seat. This is where it's at in this world. That's why, as Nachmanides, who argues with Maimonides, claims that the ultimate reward is the resurrection of the dead, when the soul will come back into the body. Because it's only in this physical world, in body and soul, that we actually reach the ultimate. We actually come face to face with the essence of God. So the souls of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, and Leah, who have been parked in paradise for the last 3,800 years, and each and every day they're, they're growing and making leaps and leaps and bounds. Three times a day. They can't wait to come back into this world, body and soul, so they can really connect with the essence of God. Because that's something that you can't really experience in heaven. You can only experience in this world. Because where does, where does ego come from? You think about it. Where does ego come from? Ego is not rational. It's completely irrational. It's inexplicable. Ego makes us feel godlike. We feel like we always existed. We feel like we always will exist. That's why we can't accept death. Emotionally, psychologically, we feel that we are the center of the universe. We don't need a justification for our being. We exist, period. I am because I am. The only one who can say I am because I am is God himself. Everything else in the universe must have a reason. 
You're not just here because you're here. When you see a business, you don't say, well, the business is here because the business is here. No. The business is here because it was a founder. It was a creator. If you see a country, it's not, it, it wasn't always here. It was a founder. It was a George Washington. Everything has to have a reason. You see a building, you know there's a building, there's a reason. It didn't just happen. Nothing just happens. Yet we sense, on the ego level, we sense, and it feels so natural. Mother Nature. I am because I am. Why? What? When? Where? I don't need any justification. I don't need any rhyme. I don't need any reason. I am because I am. I always was. I always will be. I am the center of the universe. I am the beginning and the middle and the end of everything. That's how we all feel. Six billion people. Emotionally, psychologically. Yes, so, uh, but an ego is important because, uh, you know, uh, there's a commandment to dominate the world, right? Uh, Aaron said, go... I mean, uh, Adam uh, was commanded to go out and dominate the world. We wouldn't be active or creative if we didn't have Yes. But ego is only good when ego recognizes its source. The first thing that Adam said was, let's worship a God. Because Adam was given the ability to recognize God. That's what makes us different than animals. That's why we're not animals. We are humans. We are created in the image of God. We have the ability to become aware, to become conscious of God. And when we are aware of God, we in turn elevate all of the creation. In that sense, we're dominant. In that sense, we are in charge. We were put in charge. We are the caretakers. We were put in charge because man has the ability to affect all of creation. Because when mankind recognizes God, when Adam, instead of being egotistical, turned his ego around and recognized where ego comes from and recognized where his source is and said, let's worship God, he got all the animals in the animal kingdom to worship God. He got all the trees and he got the whole universe to come and recognize God. Then you dominate man. It says when an animal sees a God-fearing person, even the wildest predatory animal is afraid of him. As in Daniel and the lions then, he was afraid to touch him. When he sees a holy person, a divine person, that person is in charge of the whole universe. And the, the wild predatory animal checks his violent nature and is completely nullified before this person, this human being. Otherwise, like we read a few months ago, those monkeys attacked, those wild monkeys attacked and killed a person somewhere in Africa. When they don't see on the forehead, they don't see a divine person, a godly person, then they are our masters. We're not their masters. So, but, this, but the question is, where does ego come from? If everything in this universe has a reason, has a beginning, and everything in the universe senses its beginning, senses its cause, its reason. I'm here because I know why I'm here. There's a cause. That's, I'm the effect. And there's a cause that precedes me, that brings me into existence. We are the exception. The human being is the exception to the rule. We are the only creature in the universe. It has no rhyme and no reason. Purely egotistical. And it feels so natural. Where does it come from? So only God who's the true reality, who really doesn't have a cause that preceded him. God is an absolute being. And God is the beginning and the middle and the end of everything. Only God could create an ego. Only God could instill within us the sense of ego. So the sense of ego comes from the very essence of God. Angels who don't have any egos don't know what God looks like. Only a human being, flesh and blood, soul and body, with human experiences, can have that experience of egos. That's why a human being is superior than an angel. 
That's why only a human being can connect with the essence of God and can fulfill the whole purpose of creation, which is to make a place where God feels at home. Because when a person takes that ego, and instead of being egotistical, when a person acts arrogantly and egotistical, and I'm in control of the world, and I can destroy the world with abandon, instead of realizing I'm a caretaker, I'm not allowed to destroy the world, I have to take care of the world, I have to heal the world, I have to be in charge of the world, but not in an arrogant way, it's mine, and I'll do with it as I please, and I'll rape the world, and I'll destroy the world, and I'll do as I please. That's not, that's not our role. Then a person destroys. When the person acts, becomes egotistical and arrogant, then we destroy the world. But when a person connects your ego to the source of ego, the ultimate ego, where you connect it to the essence of God, then you heal the world. Then you bring godliness into the world. Then you elevate the world, you transform the world, and you turn this world into a place where God says, I feel at home, it's a truly a garden of Eden. It's a place of a pleasurable place, a delightful place, a cozy place, a warm place, a good place, a kind place, a wholesome place. So it all depends on us. We are in the driver's seat. The very same source of all human misery, which is ego. If people were not egotistical, 99.9% of psychologists would be out of business. Because most psychological problems come from ego. It's also ego. Oh, is that <laughs> it's also you? ego. <laughs> it's a different form of ego. But it's all ego. I'm the worst. There's no, there's no one ever who's ever been in a worse situation than I am. It's a way of feeling special. Some people feel special because they, they suffer from superiority complexes. And some people feel special because they suffer from inferiority complexes. I'm the worst. No one has ever suffered like I. No one knows what I'm... It's a, it's a way of feeling different than everyone else. It's all ego. It's just different forms of ego. That's all. <laughs> so... It's, it's um, 99.9% of human misery comes from ego. In, angel, in heaven, there's no psychologist, no psychiatrist. Everyone is happy. <laughs> Everyone is happy. There's no ego. There's no friction. There's no jealousy. There's no envy. There's no hatred. It's beautiful. It's heaven. Only in this world. Why? Because most problems are self-made. Families don't talk to each other. Why? For petty things, for foolish things. Ego. Arrogance gets in the way, it destroys family, it destroys businesses, it destroys relationship. It destroys your relationship with yourself. You become so egotistical and arrogant, you twist yourself into a pretzel and you harm yourself and you become self-destructive. People are self-destructive. Where does this come from? When was the last time you met an animal that self-destructed? You ever met an animal that overeats or overdrinks? <laughs> Animals, they don't suffer from ego, they don't suffer from self-destruction, from addictions, they don't destroy themselves. Only human beings suffer from... So ego is, the, is man's worst enemy. But when you turn it around, and, it's, and ego, which is the source of all, everything that's evil in this world, you turn it around, and you harness it, and you connect it to the source. Where does ego come from? Ego comes from the ultimate. It comes from the absolute essence of God. And you realize that you're connected to the very essence of God, and you harness that energy. You take money, which is the ultimate ego symbol. And instead of money being a divisive force, you give tzedakah with it. And you create a connection with people and you draw, close, you draw people closer to you and you help them in a time of need in a tangible way, in a practical, physical way. Then you've transformed and harnessed the negative into a positive. That's how you make a dwelling place for God in this world. And that's why the analogy is a dwelling place, a home. A home is where you live and you get married and you move into your own home. The ultimate home, the ideal home. So again, 
marriage, children don't get married. As lovable as children are, you can eat them up. You know what they say, young kids, it's so delicious you can, you can eat them up. When they get older, you wonder why you didn't. <laughs> but children can get married. They're lovable. You love them to death. They can't get married. Why? Because children only take. They can't give. They can take love. They can receive love. But they're, too, they're, too, they're childish. They're immature. They, they, they're self-centered. They don't have the capacity to give love. They can take love. Adults, once you grow up, adults have the ability to give. They have the ability to give love. Which is really a source of friction. You become egotistical. You become self-aware. You become self-sufficient. You're an adult. You're a mature adult. Take care of yourself. And what happens? What's the ideal? What's the ultimate goal in life? To get married. What happens when you get married? When you get married you're recapturing that childlike innocence. You become like Adam and Eve, Adam and Chava, before the sin. Husband and wife, together. But you're doing it as an adult. Adam and Chava were like children. How long did that innocence last? A minute and a half. <laughs> and then we all remember, we told our first lie, we grow up, and we become disconnected from our soul, and we lose it, we lose that. And as we grow older, the more and more we lose touch with ourself, with our true soul, with our true self, natural self. What happens in marriage? Marriage is that divine gift, that ability to deliberately and consciously recreate that innocence, but do it as an adult. Not to go back to some childish... Love. But as an adult, to re- recreate that childlike innocence. Because you have the ability to give. Now you have the ability to take care of one individual. Your mission in life is to take care of one person. And to love them unconditionally. And you recreate that garden of you. You recreate that home. That place where you feel there's love, unconditional love, without reservation. You feel safe. You're not acting, you're not projecting you're not a means to an end. You're not a cog in some machine. You, it's an end in itself. This relationship is sacred, is holy. Being together, being intimate together. This is, this, is, this is marriage. The reason why we have children in marriage is not, it's not just the end, the purpose of marriage is just to have children. It's because the act of intimacy is so sacred, is so special, is so precious. Therefore, Hashem made that out of this act, a child should be created. But the act itself is very holy. As a matter of fact, the Zohar says that every time husband and wife come together in love and in purity, by going to the mikvah, they give birth. Even if they don't give birth to a physical child, but they give birth to something. They give birth to a holy spirit. And the Zohar says this explains why sometimes you could be walking down the street. And suddenly, out of nowhere, out of the blue, suddenly you feel inspired. No preparation. You weren't even thinking about anything divine or godly. And suddenly you just feel inspired. Your heart is on fire. Your soul is on fire. You feel inspired. You want to learn. You want... Where did it come from? The Zohar says, you know where it came from? Because at that moment, where husband and wife were together, going to the mikvah, in love, and they gave birth to a Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit attached itself to you 
and gave birth to an inspiration, which leads to something practical, to a good deed. So the home is marriage. The home is recreating that place of innocence, of wholesomeness, of purity, but doing it as an adult. Once you do it as an adult, then there's no going back. Then it's eternal. That's why Mashiach is compared to a marriage. Mashiach will be the time when God will marry us, consummate his marriage. Mashiach will be the time when God will actually move in with us, when this home that we just discussed will actualize and materialize. When God says, I will feel at home in this world, when God will feel cozy, and this world will be warm and beautiful and wholesome, when six billion people will recognize and accept the seven Noahide laws, become Noahides, become righteous Gentiles, and 14 million Jews, every last Jew will feel connected. That's when God says, I will feel at home. Because that's the marriage. Then it's forever. It's eternal. Adam and Chava in the Garden of Eden, that was temporary. That's like our childhood. We all start out with the Garden of Eden, with our childhood. We're pure. We're innocent. We can't even tell a lie. Children are lie detectors. You're not allowed to lie to children. You have to be so careful not to lie to children. Children are, are genuine. The whole being is genuine. And they're lie detectors. A person who hates babies will hold a baby. The baby will yell and cry. You can't fool them. You can smile with your fake smile. You can fool all the adults. You can't fool a child. A baby knows right away. They're lie detectors. If you're full of it and you're a faker, they'll they'll see through you in one split second. If you love children, genuinely love children, they'll see it also and they'll respond. Children are genuine. But how long does that last? A moment. But that's our foundation. How Hashem is telling us, this is your core, this is your essence, this is what you're all about. Later on, you have layers that cover up in it, but this is your essence and it always remains your essence. And your challenge in life is to recapture, recreate that innocence. How? Through marriage. Creating that home. By transforming, taking that ego, which is the source of friction and the source of fragmentation, and turning it around. That now I'm self-sufficient, I'm independent, now I can give that love. I can create that safe place. I can take care of my spouse and give them that unconditional love and give them that safety that they need and that, and that space they can feel at home. And then together they create a home. A place where Hashem says, I feel at home in this world. So this is the purpose of creation. The whole purpose of creation was the marriage of the Jewish people and God in this world which will take place and will be consummated with the coming of Mashiach and each and every one of us is an active participant it's really up to us because we have to allow Hashem in our hearts in our minds in our awareness in our consciousness and the moment we open our eyes and we start feeling and sensing Hashem in everything that we do then Hashem says, I feel at home. So this is the whole purpose of creation. We left off in the bottom of page 436. Um, according to Jewish law, you're not allowed to make a blessing if you just look at the food. You have to actually eat it. <laughs> please, so please pass, pass around, help yourself, take, eat. So he explained... That when a person meditates and reflects and realizes that the whole world is being created through the divine speech, everything in this world has a name, a Hebrew name, 
and the shape of the letters are really, each letter is like a different channel, how the divine energy is channeled in a unique way. And then the combination of the letters, which creates this unique characteristic and nature of each individual thing that exists in this world. And the words and letters, which is the divine energy that's channeled into and concentrated into this entity. These words and letters were within God himself, just like a person. When a person speaks, when you come up with words, where are these words? These words are within yourself. But when they are still within the source, when they're still within yourself, you don't even have words. You can't even find words. You don't even sense words. The letters are there. The words are there. Because when you speak, you are the one who is speaking. You came up with the letters. They didn't come from thin air. They came from within you. So they're there. But you don't even sense them. You can't even sense them. They're there, but they're in a state of non-being. All there is is the source. So everything that exists in this world, every unique existence, every unique entity with all its unique characteristics and nature, everything... Ultimately, it sources the divine letters and divine words and the different combinations, which ultimately, the source of the words and the letters are the way these divine letters and words are within God himself, so to speak. And there, they're in a a state of non-being. You can't even detect it. God himself, so to speak, can't even find it. As the famous expression, that it's not the essence of God to create worlds. It's not what God does. It's not that God is busy creating worlds. He's really occupied, engaged, busy, it's completely insignificant to him. The whole creation is completely insignificant to him. It doesn't engage him, it doesn't occupy him. Matter of fact, he can't even find it within himself. He can't even find the words and the letters, which are the divine source and energy, the divine source of everything that exists, and down to its uniqueness and characteristic traits and every single detail that exists in this world ultimately derives, comes from its sources, the divine energy that's focused and concentrated in a unique way, channeled in a unique way, and yet, with, when these divine letters are within God himself, the speaker, God can't even find it. And the letters can't even find themselves. It's in a state of non-being and non-existence. So therefore, what that means is, the implication is, that God is everywhere. God is everything. There is nothing else but God. Everything, every entity that exists, down to its uniqueness and its characteristics and its nature, everything is nothing other than the divine energy, divine words and letters which are completely unified within the absolute unity of God. So in other words, the truth is that everything is absolutely unified within the absolute unity of God. There is no other reality but God. So God is here. God is everywhere. In time and space, here and now, you and I, God is is the essence. There's no other reality. Nothing exists. There's nothing but God. And once you recognize this, and you truly understand this in a very penetrating way, once you become aware of it, and once it really penetrates through your mind, And once you meditate and you reflect on it until it moves you, it inspires you, it evokes a personal response inside, something stirs inside, something shifts inside. And it focuses you and concentrates you in a very profound way, in a very personal way. It changes your whole life. And that's what he quotes now on the bottom of page 436. This is the meaning of what our rabbis of blessed memory said, 613 mitzvahs were given to Israel came Chabakuk and based them all on a single one, faith. As it is written, a tzaddik lives by his faith. This means it is as if they, all the mitzvos, consisted of this one mitzvah of faith alone. For through faith alone, one will come to fulfill all the 613 mitzvos. He doesn't mean that he's coming to substitute 613 mitzvah that you don't need to do the mitzvah, all you have to do is have faith. That's not, the Jewish, that's not the Jewish way of life. 
the action, the deed is what matters most. It's the action that matters. But what he means to say is that, that if it, this is the pillar and the foundation that leads to all the other mitzvot. A Jew who has faith, a Jew who's totally aware of this faith and senses this faith and feels this faith, this will lead him to do all 613. That is when his heart will rejoice and be glad with his faith in God's unity in perfect joy as though he were obligated by just this one mitzvah and it alone were the purpose for which he and all the worlds were created. Surely, if there were but one such mitzvah for him to do, he would fulfill it with utmost joy. Let him thus rejoice in the mitzvah of faith and by the power and vitality of his soul generated from this great joy his soul will soar far above all obstacles, hindering his fulfillment of all the 613 mitzvos, both obstacles from within, from one's animal soul, and from without, arising from one's environment. Once a person has this deep sense of faith, that there truly is no other reality but God, and time, and space, and everything that exists, and soul, everything that exists is nothing other than God. Once you reach that level of faith, how could there be an obstacle? Once you open your eyes and you see God is everywhere, how could there be an obstacle? Because nothing exists but God. So if there's an obstacle, it's just imaginary. It's just illusionary. It's impossible. Because this is reality. The mitzvot, that's reality. The divine, that's reality. Period. There is no other reality. So if something appears to get in the way and is slowing us down, is hindering us, and appears to be an obstacle, it's not, it's not real. It's just an illusion. And the moment you realize it, and it clicks inside of you, that there is no other reality but God, you will see that the obstacle will melt away. What formerly seemed to be a formidable obstacle, an insurmountable obstacle against all odds. And you'll see the moment you have that resolution inside, you have that firm resolve inside that nothing is going to stop you because nothing could stop you because there is no other reality but God, you will see how everything, the cloud will lift and suddenly it will become clear that you totally misunderstood the reality, you misinterpreted the reality. There is no, there is no obstacle. It's just a test. That's all it is. It's just a test to test how, how strong you are, how clear you are, how certain you are, how alive this faith is inside of you. And the moment you have this faith and you feel it, it becomes a palpable faith, not some abstract concept, but it becomes a living, breathing faith where the faith comes out of the closet, so to speak, and you can feel it. Palpable faith. Then you realize there's another reality with God. Then you go forward confidently. You march forward confidently. Nothing can stop you. You're going to do the right thing. Nothing is going to get in the way. It's difficult. Internal difficulties, internal struggles. You'll have the energy, you'll have the strength to be able to overcome all those struggles. You'll have the energy and the strength to resist temptation or to overcome external difficulties. Nothing can stop you. Nothing can slow you down. Because you have that faith. There's no other reality but God. So what's there to be afraid of? It's the Balshemtuf. He lost his parents at a very young age, both of his parents. And his father on his deathbed, Rabbi Eliezer, told his young child, Rabbi Yisrael, he 
says, don't fear anything but God. And the child took it to heart. As a little child, bereft of two parents, he was all alone in the world. He used to go out in the forest, the six-year-old child, go out in the forest, sit alone. He wasn't afraid. Adults were afraid to go in the forest. By night, at night, alone, he would go out and sit and meditate and think and learn. He wasn't afraid. He says, my father told me, don't be afraid of anything. The only one you should be afraid of is God. And if you're afraid of God, you don't have to worry about anything. Once you feel the reality of God, that there's no other reality but God, then nothing can frighten Because there is nothing else. So this becomes the, the, the impetus. This becomes, this gives you the energy and the strength to be able to fulfill all 613 mitzvahs. Because this makes the mitzvah real. This makes the mitzvah, this faith makes the mitzvah come alive. And this faith will help you do the mitzvah and help you overcome any obstacle that may come up. And every one of our ancestors had this faith. Because every one of us that's alive as a Jew today it's because our ancestors for 3,800 years without a single interruption were faithful to their Jewishness and kept 613 mitzvahs in fire and water through thick and thin. And because the fact is that all those Jews that left Torah mitzvot disappeared. There's not a trace of them left. You'll never find a fourth generation reform or really doesn't exist. doesn't exist. Every Jew that's alive today, every last one, you know, look in the pictures. There's a picture of a grandfather, great-grandfather, great-great-grandfather, observant Jew, many times uh, with a beard. And this went on for 3,800 years without any interruption. So they had the faith. They had plenty of obstacles. They had to deal with Hitlers and they had to deal with pogroms and Chalmanitskis and Cossacks and, and, and order the phase and inquisitions and exiles and destructions and yet nothing would deter them. Nothing. There was no force in the universe that could deter our ancestors from being faithful and loyal and committed to their path of Torah and Mitzvah. Because this was reality to them. Nothing else was real. This is reality. And all the obstacles were just... They had the strength to overcome them. So we have that strength. That faith lives within us. We just have to reveal it. And this is what Habakkuk is saying. If you'll only reveal this faith and feel the faith until it becomes a living, breathing reality and you'll truly, truly get, it'll truly click with you, you'll truly feel it with every fiber of your being, every bone in your body that there is no other reality but God. God is everywhere. God is within, without, all around. There is no other reality. God is, period. That is reality. My reality, everyone's reality, that's... And that we are absolutely unified from the absolute unity of God. Then there's no obstacle in the world. And this world looks entirely different. You're looking at this world with different eyes. You realize that an obstacle is just there to strengthen you. What's the purpose of the obstacle? If there's no other reality but God, God is creating that obstacle. What's the purpose of that obstacle? Why is God making it so difficult to do the right thing? The purpose of the obstacle is to strengthen you. Because God wants you to double, redouble your effort. He doesn't want you to do... If, if you would have no obstacles, you would live very superficially. If everything went smooth and everything went easy, if our relationships went smooth and easy, then uh, it's very superficial. You have a very superficial marriage, very superficial relationship. The fact that there are obstacles doesn't necessarily mean 
Don't take the obstacle on face value. If you don't have faith and you don't believe in God, you take everything on face value. There's an obstacle. Goodbye, I'm out of here. That, that's very superficial. If you have faith and you open your eyes and you see God in everything, no, there's something deeper going on. The obstacle is an arrow pointing and telling you, no, God wants you to redouble your effort. He wants you to achieve a much deeper level. Go beyond the surface. Go beyond the superficial. You have to achieve a much more mature level of, of relationship. If you never had the obstacle, you would never be forced to dig deep inside of yourself, to explore, to go deeper. You would just coast along on a very superficial level. Hashem says, no, this is not for you. I expect a lot more from you. Your soul is much deeper than this. Maybe that's why you're so frustrated. Because it's so superficial and you're not a superficial person. And it's just... But the answer is not to throw in the towel and run away. The answer is in the contrary. The obstacle is pushing you. Redouble your effort. Intensify your efforts. Double, triple, quadruple your efforts. And then you'll discover something that's rewarding. You'll discover a depth. A hidden depth of depth. So when you have faith, you see things differently. You see everything differently. Even the negative you see differently. Even the obstacle you see differently. The obstacle is also from God. Everything is God. There's no other reality but God. So you can't just dismiss the obstacle and I don't want to deal with it. Or no, no, no. That means you're lacking in faith. If you really have faith, everything is a message, direct personal message. It's person-to-person phone call. It's a personal message from God. Custom-made, tailor-made for you. The message is you have to go a lot deeper. You have to live life in a much deeper level. And you were handpicked. You were chosen to go a little deeper. And you will never be satisfied until you deal with it, until you overcome it, until you, you push deeper and you go deeper into the matter. So faith changes everything. Suddenly you see life differently. You see challenges differently. You see yourself differently. You see, you see God everywhere. And Hashem is good. God is good. He's not just making life miserable for us. <laughs> Someone is having fun, right? It's good, but he—it's and it's for our good. But he's not going to get—he's not—he's not, not going to let us get away with with murder. He's not going to let us get away with being skin deep and superficial. No. So he gives us an obstacle. It's a wake-up course. Obstacle course. It's a wake-up course. So when you have faith, then no obstacle can hinder you, and nothing can stop you from within or from without. You go forward confidently with strength, with energy, with enthusiasm, with zest, with that alone helps you overcome the difficulty. When soldiers go to war, they have a band playing. They're going to die, and they have a band playing. Because the victory depends on how you go to war. If you go to war fearful and frightened and, and defensive and in the crowd, you'll never win. But if you go to war marching, confident, that alone will scare the enemy and that alone will help you overcome the obstacle. And the obstacle sees that it's not helping. The more the obstacle, the, the stronger you are, the obstacle will disappear. What's the point? It's a losing game. What's the, what's the point of the obstacle? The more, the more there's an obstacle, the deeper you go, the more intense you go. It's like a story of the Jewish people. Every time we had a tzarist, what happened? We end up with a new holiday. It doesn't pay to start up with the Jews. I mean, the last time Iran, Persia, started up with the Jewish people, we have Purim. So these guys didn't learn the lesson and they wanted, they wanted, they wanted to give us another holiday now. <laughs> so they're starting up with us. It's not, it doesn't pay. It doesn't, it's, not, it's not worth it. So when they see that nothing helps, all the obstacles in the world just strengthen us and just 
just deepen our, cause us to deepen our relationship with God, then the obstacle will melt away. Because don't forget, the obstacle is not an end in itself. It's just a means to an end. Once we pass the test, once Hashem sees that we're strong, then Hashem removes the obstacle. What's the, the point is not it's, not, it's, just, it's not an end in itself. It's just, just a means. So once you've learned the lesson and you pass the test, the obstacle melts away and then you can grow from strength to strength, from positive to even more positive. Okay, continue. Being thus imbued. Being thus imbued with the awareness of God's true unity, he will be able to overcome any obstacle hindering him from carrying out the mitzvahs. For how can anything stand in the path of God's will, the mitzvahs, when there is nothing in the world apart from God? Thus the expression yichyeh will live, in the verse a tzaddik will live by his faith, is meant of the sense of will be revived, as though resurrected from the dead. So will his soul be revived by this great joy. That he comes to life, this faith will bring him to life. He comes to life, he springs to life, he comes to life. It brings a person to a tremendous level of joy. This is a double and redoubled joy. Apart from the soul's joy upon apprehending how near God is to him and how he dwells together with him. This is a very powerful point. That when a Jew realizes that Hashem is interactive, God is interactive. God responds to us. The more joyful we are, the more aware and awake we are, God responds. In modern lingo, God is interactive. Our generation can relate. It's a relationship. And when we open our hearts and minds and our consciousness to God, then God stirs, so to speak. God responds. And there's a stirring from God. And something very real happens. It evokes a response. And something, something very real happens. It touches the divine. And it creates a new reality. Because when God stirs and God responds, and God rejoices... It's something shifts, something changes. The reality of this world changes. This world becomes a holy place, becomes safe. Every time you do a mitzvah, there's really a divine response because it's God responding to your mitzvah that actually stirs something up within God and brings down the divine into this world and therefore transforms the physical object with which you're doing the mitzvah, transforms it into a sacred, into a holy object. The Torah scroll actually becomes holy. When you do a mezuzah and you put up the mezuzah, when you put on the tefillin, that actually becomes, when you do a mitzvah with it, that actually becomes a sacred object. So you've stirred, you've evoked the response within God because only God has the power to take something physical, material, and to transform it into something sacred. But you've evoked that response. By you doing the mitzvah, you've created that space, you've created that and therefore you've evoked that response and something creative happens, something new happens, something dynamic happens. It's very real. It's like a marriage. Something new happens. There's a relationship. There's a connection now. Two individuals now relate with each other and connect with each other. There's creative spark. Something new happens. It gives birth to something. So when a Jew realizes 
that the more joyful we are in our faith, and the more we open ourselves up to that faith, and we feel that faith, and it becomes tangible and palpable in our lives, and we live accordingly, that Hashem responds. Our joy evokes a response from Hashem. Hashem rejoices. If we walk around with a smile, Hashem smiles to us. We walk around with a frown, Hashem frowns back. We're generous and kind and open-hearted. Hashem is generous and kind to us. If we're very judgmental and very by the books, that's exactly the way Hashem treats us. (laughs) Hashem is interactive. Hashem is our shadow. The way we act, that's exactly the way He acts. So if we're joyful, we're enthusiastic and thrilled and excited and inspired by God's unity, by the realization that there's no other reality but God and we see God everywhere, then Hashem will respond. And Hashem will reveal Himself. And Hashem will rejoice. And then something happens. It's a different world. It's a world where God is here and God is felt and God is present. God's essence is found. It's a world where God says, I feel at home. The world becomes transformed. So when the Jew realizes that something real is happening here, this is not just, we are creating something together with God. We are rejoicing and God is rejoicing in response. We are rejoicing with Him and He is rejoicing with us. And God is rejoicing in our rejoicing. Because we're able to see through it. We're able to see through the darkness. It was a test. It's like the famous parable of the Balshemta, the king once sat on his throne and he invited anyone from the city to come, anyone from his uh, country to come visit him, his citizens to come visit him, his subjects to come visit him. But he wasn't going to make it so easy. So he created an optical illusion that there's a river between the king, separating between the king and the, and the, and the subjects. Everyone came close to the palace. They saw this huge river. You can't get to the king. They all left there was one wise person. He said, if the king called me and he said, I have an appointment to meet the king, there is no obstacles. And he walked. And he walked. And he realized, once he crossed, there was, there's no water, there's no river. It's one big optical illusion. All there is is the king. There's nothing else. It was just mirrors, optical illusion. All there is is the king. There was nothing else. There was nothing in the way. The king was sitting right there. You can approach the king. There was absolutely nothing in the way. It was just in the mind. An optical illusion. The king was testing the wisdom and the strength of his subjects. If he invited them to come see him, and it's his kingdom, and it's his palace, obviously he wouldn't ask of you to do something that's impossible. So if he's asking you, demanding you to do something, obviously you're, you're capable of doing it. Just have faith. And if you have the faith, you yourself will realize that there is no water, there is no obstacle. It never was. It was just one big grand optical And that's the story of life. Hashem, Hashem's essence is present. But Hashem is like testing us. And He creates what appears to be obstacles. He wants us to do the right thing. He says, come, connect with me. Do the mitzvah. And then He creates so many obstacles, so many difficulties. So if a person has the wisdom and the strength, you go forward. And you realize, once you go forward, you realize there are no obstacles. It's one big optical illusion. And the king is right there. There's nothing else. All there is is you and the king. There's nothing else. There's absolutely nothing in the way for you to contact and talk to the king, person to person, face to face. It's all up up to you. 
So when God rejoices, when God sees your wisdom and sees how you're going forward, and you're not impressed with all the obstacles from within and from without, and you're confidently marching forward with joy, and you see God in everything and everywhere, imagine the joy, the nachas, the pleasure that Hashem gets from His Yiddish Kindle. So we can evoke that joy. We can evoke that response. So imagine our joy. Not just our joy from the realization that God is everywhere. But even more profoundly, our joy from the fact that we're able to give God joy. We're able to give God pleasure. That we're able to evoke such a powerful response within God. We're able to get God to smile and to laugh and to rejoice. And to get pleasure from us and nachas from us. When Hashem sees that we don't, we're not taken in, we're not fooled, we're not taken in by the surface reality. Most people are just taken in by surface reality and they just accept the most superficial reality as reality. When Hashem sees that there's a spirit, a Jew is a nonconformist, a rebel, is not afraid and goes and, and does the right thing, despite all the obstacles, from within, imaginary obstacles, even real obstacles, from within and from without, it gives Hashem pleasure no, to no end it gives Hashem so much nachas and we rejoice with that pleasure and that pleasure so much exceeds our pleasure because our pleasure is limited we're finite we're human Hashem's pleasure is infinite so we rejoice with Hashem's pleasure and we rejoice with the fact that we can evoke that pleasure we can give Hashem pleasure imagine us human beings as puny as tiny as insignificant as we are we can give Hashem such indescribable joy such indescribable just by going forward, by having this faith, by sensing the reality of Hashem, sensing that there is no other reality but God. This is the pillar and the foundation of all 613 mitzvahs. A Jew who is able to achieve this is able to fulfill all 613 mitzvahs, is able to lead a full Jewish life. He will also rejoice doubly in the joy and pleasure which his faith brings to God. For thereby... Through one's faith in God's unity, the Sitra Achra is truly subdued and darkness is transformed to light, meaning the darkness of the klipot of this corporeal world which obscure and conceal God's light until the end of days, as it is written, he sets an end to darkness. There's a famous parable that the king what is the king's entertainment when the king needs a distraction? He has a lot on his mind. He needs a distraction. What's the king's entertainment? You bring a parrot. The parrot that speaks. It's delightful. It's very entertaining. When people speak, you want to cry. <laughs> when the parrot speaks, it's entertaining. Everyone is laughing. Einstein is laughing. The king is laughing. Everyone is laughing. Entertaining. What happened? Because it's a novelty. You don't expect it. When a person speaks, it's predictable. It's expected. There's nothing novel about it. What's entertainment? Entertainment is something unpredictable. When a, a parrot should speak, that's unpredictable. So when we, who are living in a very dark world, in a very coarse world, in a very brutish, nastish world, nasty world, as Hope said, a very egotistical world, selfish, self-centered world, and yet... When Hashem sees that we're trying to do the right thing and, and, we, and we have self-sacrifice and we're acting selflessly and we're, doing, we're acting kindly. 
and we're transforming the darkness, despite the darkness, despite all the odds, we're rising above the darkness, and we're able to shine a light in this darkness. This gives Hashem pleasure to no end. This gives Hashem so much joy. This is Hashem's entertainment. So imagine that we have the ability to entertain Hashem. We have the ability to give Hashem nachas and pleasure. Infinite pleasure. When you realize that, that alone gives you joy. And that joy far surpasses, far exceeds the joy, your own personal joy that you have on the, on the realization that there's no other reality but God. Because that's your personal limited joy. But when you realize that you can, you evoke Hashem's infinite joy, you have the ability. And especially in the times of darkness, the day and age that we're living in, when truth is so concealed, the world, the world has become so false, it's become so dark that people don't even realize what's darkness anymore. They confuse darkness for light and light for darkness. That's how confused we are. A world that's not only awash in junk food, but a world that's awash in junk lifestyle. And that's paraded as, as a lifestyle. The world is so far off, so distorted, so disconnected from truth and reality. It doesn't even realize what's right and what's wrong anymore. And it celebrates falseness as if that's some sort of liberation and, and truth is completely buried and hidden and concealed. We live in a very false world. And it's, and it's, it's in all levels. Every single aspect of life. People rightfully have lost trust. They don't trust the media, they don't trust the government, they don't trust the drug companies, they don't trust the medical profession. They don't trust because everything has become so dishonest. Everything today has become so false. You say, how do you know a politician is lying? He's moving his lips. (laughs) He once asked a politician, is the world straight around? He said, neither, it's crooked. So, this is the world we live in. A world where only snakes and scorpions can feel at home. Not a world that a normal, decent human being can feel at home. But it's become so dark that, that people don't even realize what, what right is anymore. People don't even realize what truth anymore. Family. No one, even, no one even talks about family anymore. No one even defends the family anymore. The very, the very foundation of society. The very atom of society, of a healthy, wholesome society, of a normal family. So the assault against family, the assault against every value, everything that's core values of life, has been so total, so devastating. People don't even realize anymore what's right and what's wrong and what's, what's, what's down is up and what's crooked is straight and what's left is right. Everything is upside down. And yet, when you live in this environment, and yet, despite the oppressiveness, the spiritual oppressiveness of being awash in lies and, and untruths and agendas and political agendas, and yet, despite that, you're able to keep your head above water and you're able to discover the truth and you're able to have that faith and you're able to connect with that ultimate core truth that there is no other reality but God and you're able to live your life accordingly and go forward confidently Imagine the pleasure that this gives Hashem. That you're able to overcome the darkness. You're able to transform the darkness into light. This is the ultimate creative act. That the truth has defeated the lies. 
The light has defeated the darkness. Despite all odds, everything is being arrayed against the truth. The lie is being celebrated and the truth is being denigrated. And yet, the truth triumphs. And the truth wins out. Imagine the joy this gives Hashem. The wisdom that you were able to overcome and see through. This is, what the, this is the purpose of creation. This is what life is all about. This is the ultimate goal of life. That's what God wanted. That's why He created the very dark world. A world which is the antithesis of godliness. The antithesis of everything that's noble and holy and spiritual and refined and good and decent and wholesome. And in this setting, God wanted us to find our way, to find the path. To choose the right path and do the right thing. Have the wisdom to know that there is no other reality but God. And hold on to that truth and live that truth in your daily life on a day-to-day basis. Discover the emes. And the irony is, the emes, the truth, is so sweet all the alternatives are sour, are bitter. There's nothing there. There's nobody home. It's an empty nothing. But if you follow the truth and you follow the Torah, Hashem says, taste my Torah, taste the divine. It's so sweet. It's so delicious. It's so beautiful. It's like, uh, to use a physical analogy, it's like healthy foods, organic foods. The little dirty secret that no one knows is that organic food tastes delicious. <laughs> Once you eat an organic fruit, you can't go back to that synthetic, artificial, poisoned fruit that uh, where we get. That's, that's called food. Because this is real and this is artificial and synthetic. And the same thing is with life. Even though everything around has become so synthetic and so artificial, yet when a Jew follows the Torah, Torah is life, Torah is genuine. And when you embrace the Torah, all 613 mitzvahs, and you live a Torah life, a Jewish life, it's so sweet, it's so wholesome, it's so rewarding, it's so beautiful. But you have to discover it on your own. You have to have the wisdom and the strength and the faith to be able to overcome the obstacles, do the right thing, and then you'll discover there are are no obstacles, it's just an optical illusion, it's a beautiful way of life, it's the only beautiful way of life, it's the truth, it's the emes, and there's only one truth, there's only one emes, that there's no other reality but God. And if you connect with that truth, and you live that truth, and you believe that truth, and you consistently follow that truth, then you will lead the most rewarding, the best life possible. God says, choose good, choose life. It's a path of life rewarding on every level practically, emotionally, psychologically spiritually so imagine the joy this gives Hashem that despite the environment we live in when you have the strength to be able to overcome and discover the truth you've figured out the puzzle you've figured out the riddle the more complex and the more difficult it is the reward is so much greater imagine the joy this gives Hashem you figured it out. Despite all the odds, you figured out the ends. And this is our world that we live in. The darkest moment in history. Spiritually dark. The most spiritually oppressive moment in history. When truth has been so distorted, it's hard to find a genuine person. Hard to find a genuine leader. Everything has been so compromised. Everything has become so synthetic and false. 
And yet, in this environment that we live in, you're able to discover Hashem and discover the endless. This gives Hashem such infinite pleasure, infinite joy. Okay, continue. Until the end of days, as it is written, he sets an end to darkness. The biblical phrase, the end of days, is written, Ketz HaYamim. Since Yamin in Aramaic means days, and Yamin, Hebrew, means right, the phrase thus intimates that in the end of days, God will reveal his right hand, a reference to his attribute of revelation, when he will banish the spirit of impurity from the earth, and God's glory, the godliness within every created being, will be revealed, and all flesh together will behold it. That is to say, not only the mind, but even the very flesh of man will perceive godliness, as will be explained further. This banishment of the Sitra Achra will take place only at the end of days during the Messianic era. Until then, however, while the darkness of Klippa still reigns over the earth, one affords God gratification by crushing the Sitra Achra and transforming its darkness into light, by means of his faith. And man's realization of this fact intensifies his own joy in his faith. When Mashiach will come, God will lift the veil and everything will become crystal clear. We'll be able to sense godliness with our flesh and blood, with our naked eye. Just like now, materialism feels so natural and godliness seems to be very abstract. When Mashiach will come, it'll be the reverse. Godliness will feel so natural. You'll see it. It'll be so self-evident. It'll be so self-obvious. Because Hashem will remove the hiding, will come out of hiding, so to speak, and the divine energy, the divine creative energy that's constantly creating and sustaining and animating every single entity that exists will, will, be, will emerge and surface and will be completely revealed. But until that moment, till Mashiach comes, till the great awakening, till that great revelation, that wonderful moment that we're all waiting for, but it hasn't happened yet, obviously... Um, until that moment, it's by crushing the lie. When you're able to break through the lie, able to break through the darkness, penetrate the darkness, and shine a light, and able to illuminate the darkness, this gives Hashem tremendous pleasure. And it gives the Jew pleasure knowing that it gives God so much pleasure. So you come alive. It's like resurrection. Suddenly you feel alive. You feel vibrant. You feel dynamic. You feel excited, enthusiastic, motivated, inspired, realizing what's, what, what's happening, realizing that you have the ability to make God feel at home in this world. You have the ability to give God so much pleasure, so much nachas, so much infinite, indescribable joy. And you have the ability to evoke a response from God, a profound response, a personal response, where God's essence responds. God's essence reveals itself in this world. And this leads, this will lead to the coming of Mashiach. Every time we in our own personal life make a dwelling place for God, open our hearts and our minds and our consciousness, and that faith comes alive for us, we hasten. And we bring one step closer that reality when God's essence will manifest in the whole world. And God's presence will be palpable you walk down Park Avenue and you'll sense godliness. God's presence will be palpable and tangible and felt by every human being. And it'll feel so natural. And it's going to happen imminently.
that's one message the Rebbe sent us. It's hard to, left with us, it's hard to believe that it's 14 years since the Rebbe passed away, 1994. But one message, inspiring message the Rebbe left with us is that we are the last generation of the old order and each and every one of us, we will be the first generation of the new order. A world transformed, the world Nothing like anything we've ever experienced. A world which is good and godly and whole. Um, where all the negativity will vanish without a trace. And all that will be left with everything that's good and decent and kind and wholesome in life. And there's no fear. There's nothing to be afraid of. You know, 200 years ago, the rabbi once came to the synagogue and he spoke. He says, Mashiach is coming. So the husband comes back from synagogue and tells his wife, I heard the rabbi just said, Mashiach is coming. He says, Oy, gewalt. That's terrible. We just bought a new farm. We just bought a new set of cows. The Mashiach is coming. We're going to go to Jerusalem. What are we going to do with the farm? How are we going to pay the mortgage? What are we going to do with the new cows we bought? So he says, Oy, the husband says, Oy, you're right. It's a tzara. What are we going to do about this Mashiach? So she says, don't worry. The same God who saved us from everything else will save us from Mashiach too. <laughs> <laughs> So this was 200 years ago. You know, people had a primitive understanding of Mashiach. Today, thank God, we live in an enlightened age. Everyone has a much more enlightened idea of Mashiach. Everyone realizes that Mashiach, I think everyone is ready to welcome Mashiach with open arms. The level of leadership that we have today is so dismal. I think everyone is ready for a real leader, a genuine leader to please step up to the plate. And um, Mashiach is a positive thing. There's nothing to be afraid of. Whatever is good in your life, in your career, in your business, whatever is good in your life will only be enhanced and amplified a thousandfold. Anything negative, you can do without anyway. <laughs> so the aggravation and the negativity and the jealousy and all of that nonsense, that will leave behind. But Mashiach will only bring out all the good. We're about to make that transition. We are a unique generation. There's never been a generation like ours, never will be, because we are the transitional generation. We are the link. We are the transitional generation. We are the last moments where I was standing on the threshold. We are in the last moments before the coming of Mashiach. We are in the last moments of exile. We will experience the very first moments, the opening, the dawn, the Jewish dawn, when the Jewish sun will emerge in all its beauty and the whole world will bask in the sun and the light and the warmth of Yiddishkeit and the light of godliness and the light of the knowledge that there is no, the truth, the ultimate, absolute truth that there is no other reality but God and we are all, the whole universe, the whole world is unified, in the ab- absolutely unified within the absolute unity of God and all of this will become sensed it will become tangible and palpable we'll be able to sense it and feel it with our five senses, with our naked eye and it will feel so natural and real and that's the great awakening that we're all right now we're all sleepwalking through life or many of us, I can speak for myself Mashiach will come, that will be the great awakening when finally we'll fully come alive, as he says here, like resurrection. Come alive. Fully live. And, and, um, so Hashem should help, Hashem should help, that we should, uh, the next class, will be given by Mashiach himself, will be reunited with the Rebbe, and Alter Rebbe himself will be giving a class. And you won't have to listen anymore to anyone hacking, hacking in China, <laughs> saying Yiddish. <laughs> I never said it, it's not what I meant. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> so you'll hear it out the Rebbe himself.